Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. It's time for Tuesdays with Corey, brought to you by our good friends at the Long-Term Care Planning Group. Now, here's your host, Corey Rick. Thank you, Stone. We have another great guest today uh, on our show. Tana Gilday comes to the show as an award-winning author, financial advisor, and with past experience as a CPA. She has a wealth of business experiences and successes, and we all look forward to hearing about them on the show. Tana, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as I said before, you've had a lot of business experience, and I'd like you to introduce yourself further to the listenership to the listenership so they could get to know you better. Sure. Um, well, my name's Tana Gilday, and I was born and raised in Montana. So that's my uh, first unusual I thing. I think that's a first for the show, <laughs> our first Montana guest. Yay! One of us got out. Uh, Montana was a great place to grow up, great place to go to school, a really, really good CPA uh, program there. I passed the exam. Uh, but the joke was get a really nice car in a P.O. box because they audited every bank. Uh, the big firms audited every bank in about five states. And if you look at that part of the map, that's a really big area. Area. So I wasn't that excited about staying there, had some close family friends move to Atlanta with IBM, and I said, hey, I'll go to Atlanta and try my luck there. So from Montana to Atlanta. Yep. We're not talking about just going to like Peachtree City to Atlanta. That's a hike. That's a hike. And where did you go to school? Uh, Montana. Montana State. Okay. Montana State University. Yep. So graduated, um, got a job in... September with KPMG, which was Pete Marwick, sure. Maine at the time, or Mitchell at the time, and became Maine and became KPMG. Uh, had a job starting in January of 87. And in November, the previous November, the close family friends moved. So I came to Atlanta with a job and found an apartment and never looked back. Hmm. Tell us what you did at KPMG and, and what your experience was like there. Yeah, I started in their audit department. So there was a big group, you know, they kind of hire recent graduates, big group. It was very fun, happy hours, a lot of people my age, you know, we did a couple weeks of training. And then I started doing corporate audits. So I was with them for six and a half years, rose to the level of manager uh, before I got married, had a baby and left and went to work for MCI. So I was in operations management, ran their accounts payable department here in Atlanta. And I thought I would take this operations job as a means in and then uh, boot over to the accounting department. Uh, but I loved operations. It was really uh, invigorating. There was a lot of things that needed to be done. The technology yeah. was way behind, um, loved the group and creating the team. Uh, so I was with them for several years until they said, Hey, we want to make you a director and move you to Washington, DC. And I said, yeah, I don't think I want to. Let me think that. about that. No, <laughs> no, right? love the director part. Don't want to move to DC. So, um, left, stayed home. At that How long were you at MCI? I was at MCI from 93 to 96 and had three kids at the time. Um, so decided I would stay home, 
was pregnant with the fourth. So I had four kids in five and a half years. Mm. So it was pretty busy. Uh, stayed that, home. That's kind of an understatement. <laughs> it was definitely an interesting time. Um, and when I made the decision to stay home, I think I didn't know myself very well. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I was envisioning sitting on the floor playing blocks with my kids, singing songs and being really fulfilled in that role. But that's kind of not the type of person I am. So I quickly became a Girl Scout leader, mm. a room mom, a PTA volunteer, created their the school calendar, and I was just up to my ears volunteering. You don't strike me as somebody that would sit, do very well sitting stationary. No, I really couldn't. And I loved my kids and I loved three minutes of sitting on the floor playing with them. But the all day, every day, not being engaged, not um, achieving and having spreadsheets and interactions with adults and, and that kind of thing just wasn't my personality. It's great for moms that love that and that do well in that. I just didn't. So I volunteered myself to death for six years uh, and then said, you know what, if I'm working this hard, someone needs to pay me some money. <laughs> I have done the volunteer thing, loved it, made a lot of great friends, hopefully did some good things, uh, but was looking for kind of what was next. Yeah. And uh, financial fl- planning just fell in my lap. Honestly. How, how so? I was on a tennis team with a, a lady who is now uh, my partner's with the firm, his mother. I met his wife at the tennis match and she called me out of the blue one day and said, my husband's looking for somebody part-time for his financial planning firm. And I said, what's a financial planning firm? And started the conversation with him. That was over 14 years ago. He's now my partner. And uh, so I was with, at the time, Compass Financial Consulting, the small, uh, I was the third person in the door. There were the two guys that started the company. And uh, they did uh, full service financial planning and investment management. So I came in, I did everything from, you know, empty the trash and set out client drinks and file and send emails and do paperwork and, you know, just started with all of that uh, stuff that somebody's got to do and loved it and yeah. said, you know, I could do this for the rest of my career. So um Went to school, College for Financial Planning, which is an online uh, virtual school out in uh, Colorado. Took their courses, uh, took the exam uh, to be a certified financial planner, put in my time. There's an experience requirement, so did all yeah. that. And then just kind of stayed with the firm, yeah. you know, started growing, doing more and more things, taking on more responsibilities, became the uh, chief compliance officer. That's always the thing that the, you know, the youngest person on the crew gets to jump into the compliance area. And so um, I did that. And after about 10 years, I said, hey, guys, what about being a partner? Like, what's the plan with that? And they kind of looked at each other like, oh, we just never thought about it. So um, I'm like, well, time to start thinking about it. <laughs> Is 30 seconds enough time for you to think about it? Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I became a partner with that firm. Good and for you. Uh, it was it was great. And I do tell people, you know, sometimes you just have to ask because it's not that they didn't 
want me as a partner. They just were busy doing their own thing and nobody was thinking about it. This just in, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Correct. Correct. So um, I was I was proud of myself for asking and they were glad I did. And so that worked out. That's great. Uh, and then we were approached by Harmrick Berg. Yeah. Uh, who's a, a much larger firm, obviously, than, than we were at the time. And there was just a lot of cultural fits, the way that they serve clients, what they were doing in terms of the planning aspect of, um, letting that lead the way into the investment management part of it, which very much aligned with us. And so we, uh, started about, Six months worth of discussions and meeting and yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. Yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. And finally decided, you know what? We don't love the compliance stuff. We don't like all of the details of the the back office part of it. Yeah. They have this foundation that would allow us to then go do the part we love, yeah. which is working with clients. Yeah. And uh, so we met people. We everybody just decided let's do it you have a lot of really technical experience and you know did your experience as a cpa and as an auditor with kpmg and your experience in operations how did that help you you know get into financial planning was it it seems to me like it would be useful very useful yeah i think it was very useful and and i do think that a a wide variety of experiences there's always something to pull um, and what it helped me with is as a small business owner, when there were three of us running that firm, you had to do a lot of different things, yeah. you know, so, um, I had to be the marketing person. I had to be the compliance person. I had to figure out the operational aspects of how do we take paperwork and convert it into accounts and move money and not make mistakes and make sure that we're doing everything consistently. So all that operations training that I had at MCI, where I was taking that department and making it more efficient and implementing technology and all of those types of things really helped me in that role. Uh, and especially as we went into the merger, there's a lot of things that have to happen when two companies come together. Yeah. Uh, and you have to put systems together and make decisions and all of those kind of things. So I think all of the pieces that I did, even all the volunteering that I did, when you're constantly having to interact with people and try to get people to do stuff that they don't necessarily want to do, that's not necessarily in their best interest to do it. Um, all of those types of persuasion and discussions and dealing with different personalities, yeah. you know, I think was all valuable. So you have, you started with Compass Financial in 2005, roughly. Yeah. You were there roughly 10 years and then the, the Hamrick Berg uh, merger happened in 2015, thereabouts? Uh, we actually merged with them January 1 of 2018. Okay. Yeah. So we've been over there a little over a year and a half. And now. you said, you mentioned something that I wanted to come back to culturally. You, mm-hmm. know, you felt like it was a good fit. And um, everybody that I've met from Hamrick and Berg, Hamrick Berg has been very, very impressive. But talk to us in the listenership about the culture and, and why that was a fit for uh, your organization joining. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the number one thing when you look or when I look at the people at Hamrickburg is they are so passionate about what they're doing yeah. from the 
person that you first see when you walk in the door to the person that's bringing you a drink in the room to the people processing paperwork in the back office, everyone is all in Hmm. on what they're doing. And we are a work hard, play hard firm. We have happy hours. We have you know, decorate your cubicle contests at Christmas time. I mean, we just, there's always something going on. We yeah. run a quarterly book club. We have uh, the green committee and the fun workplace committee and all those things where we say, you know what, this is not a place that you show up eight to five. This is a group of people that we hope you're going to be with for your whole career. Yeah. And we want to develop you. We want to have fun with you. We want to socialize with you. We want to celebrate when you have babies. We want to commiserate when things don't go the way you're hoping that they go. Uh, and, and that was very much the same type of feeling that we had at Compass. Um, even though it's much bigger. And then it was that dedication to a lifelong relationship with clients. I want my clients to have my cell number. I want them to call me if something that they're worried about. You know, I tell them you should never be worried about money because you should call me, email me, call me anytime because that's my job is to be worried about that. And that's kind of how everybody at the firm is, is we want to lift that burden from our clients because our clients are brilliant at doing what they're brilliant at. Generating the money. Generating the money. And so we have to be the ones supporting them, freeing up their time and energy so that they can go be brilliant, give their gifts to the world, and let us take care of all of that stuff in their financial world to make sure they get where they want to go within reason and help make it as easy as possible because financial lives are very complex now, very complex. Um, and so, you know, to be able to have that team of people that we can bring to whatever issue or problem that the client has, make it easier, get things done, free them up, go be brilliant in your space. Well, if I may, it sounds like you are doing for your clients what Homrick and Homrick Berg, I, I keep wanting to say Homrick and <laughs> Berg, what Homrick Berg has done for you. They're, they're, foundationally taking care of the back office issues and in, in our business that's something where you can spend a lot of time and uh if you have somebody that that's their fastball it would make sense for them to do that Correct. and then if it's something that you don't necessarily want to do that's great that somebody who does want to do it they probably are going to do it better and probably going to get things done more quickly and you're out to you know go throw your fastball which is you know business development probably interacting with clients and i think it's interesting that you turn around and it seems like you give that same thing uh to your clients hey you let us you let us do the heavy lifting you go make the money we'll help you we'll make sure there's enough we'll make sure it's structured in a way that's comfortable and consistent with what you want to do financially uh uh, so i think that that's like i said before everybody i've met from your company i've been very impressed with and they give off an energy and and i think part of that is somebody is doing the stuff that isn't so glamorous behind the scenes, which has to get done in any company. Absolutely. To me, it's advantageous that you have so much business success, you personally behind you, that you can look at something and go, okay, that needs to be done. You know, that this is where this paperwork goes. And you probably know how to do it so you can oversee somebody. Right. But the fact that somebody else is taking care of it for you just makes just makes you more uh, available. Yeah. 
And if you think about it, if everyone in the world was doing what they love and what they're really great at, I bet everybody would be really, really happy. You'd be really excited to jump out of bed and go to work every day uh, because we have people who love taking all that paperwork and organizing it and making sure all the boxes God are checked. God love them. God love them. I can't survive without them. Well, and there are, there are people that are, they, they like the details. Absolutely. And there are people that, hey, that's... That's not their fastball. They, yep. They're out. They need to do something else. Absolutely. And we got a whole team of people that loves doing investment analysis and research and figuring out the best portfolios. And God love them because I don't like doing that. I what want great them advantage. to tell me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge advantage for you too, right? Oh, yes. Absolutely. And that was a key driver for us in joining the firm is they have an extensive investment team. Very, very knowledgeable CFAs, you know, yeah. big spreadsheets, all that kind of stuff. And that just takes something off of us, um, you know, as a smaller firm to, to have that, you know, have that bench behind us. How many folks work at Homrickburg? Uh, we are just over a hundred. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And it's been around since what, 1988, 89? 89, yeah. 89. We're celebrating our 30 year anniversary. This year. So you're, what's unique about Homrickberg? Um, Homrick was one of the first firms that really said, you know what, we cannot separate financial planning from investment management. The planning aspect is an integral part of figuring out an investment strategy. And now we kind of look back on that and go, well, duh. But back in the day, that yeah. was stockbrokers and Wall Street and hot tips and, you know, investment management was very, very different back in 1989 uh, when Andy Berg and David Homrick came together and said, you know what, we think there's a better way to do this. And well, clearly I, they've done that. Clearly they've done it. They hit on something that was... um you know, very important to people and just made sense. Yeah. Of course, you need to know what's the money for in order to structure the right type of investment strategy, get the risk right. Nobody on TV talks about risk in investment portfolios. You mean they don't tell you the full story on TV, no, really? Oh, shocker. All wow. we care about is the return, the return. Stone, the did return. you know that? You don't get the full scoop on uh, on TV, really? <laughs> Yeah, crazy, crazy. But there is this little thing called risk behind the scenes. And we've got to get that part right when you're creating an investment strategy. And so that's why the planning part is so yeah. important um, to make sure we're aligning all those pieces, make sure we're protecting. If you don't have the right insurance, it doesn't matter what your investment portfolio is doing because it can be wiped out overnight. Yeah. If you don't get that right, if you don't have your state plan in place, then the wrong speeding car can really, you know, decimate your plan. So it's all of those pieces that have to come together holistically uh, to create the plan. And I think when we get everything aligned, then people have a peace of mind that, hey, I got all my ducks in a row. Everything's working in the same direction. And we've got these different strategies. The college money that my junior in high school needs is invested very differently than my retirement savings that I'm going to need in 
30 years. Mm. Um, but we've got it earmarked. We've got things tagged for where they go and what goals. And it makes decision making easy. Mm. Hey, I want a Ferrari. Okay. Are we sacrificing retirement, the lake house, or your kid's college education to get that Ferrari? Pretty easy. Great stuff. So it sounds like your uh, firm really does a deep dive in getting to know the clients and getting to know them psychologically. Isn't that a big part of what you do? Getting to know the clients, you know, what their perspective is on money, what fears they may or may not have, you know, aside from knowing what the money's for. Right. Isn't that important to know kind of how somebody views money? Absolutely. Um, and one of the first things I take my clients through is their money story. Every interaction you've had in your life with money, every message that you got from somebody that was important to you is creating this money story. It's creating an idea that money's easy to get or money's hard to get. Money's easy to keep. Money's hard to keep. You can't save. You can't invest. We'll never be rich. You know, all of these uh, impressions create the underlying beliefs that you have about how the world works how you work. We're not the kind of people that start their own business or we're, we are the kind of people that start yeah. their own business. All <laughs> these messages. <clears throat> and then you bring two people together who get married, who have very different backgrounds, different money histories, different money stories, different underlying beliefs. And now we're trying to create a shared vision with a third person in the room. How do you do that? Well, it's just unpacking what, what are you afraid of? What are your earliest memories of money? What are your regrets about money? What's the best thing you ever did with your money? Um, it's trying to understand those things. Where do you as a couple collide over money? Is there the spender saver dynamic? Couples, couples collide over money? I've heard tell that every once in a I'm while. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> every once in a while, there are differences of opinion around money and how it could be used. So it's just trying to get to that in a safe way that says, you know what, there's no right or wrong. There's just everybody's got a different story. And if yeah. I can understand your story, then I can help get over some fears. Maybe, you know, yeah. there's a lot of women have this bag lady fear, like I'm going to, I'm going to be a bag lady. Okay. Well, let's do some things today to reduce the risk that you're going to be a bag lady or a bag man. Um, and so it's understanding those things, trying to, to take action because we know the biggest killer of fear is action. And you take smart action that gets rid of fear because you're doing the things. It doesn't mean you could never lose everything, but if we do a lot of good things now, the likelihood of that happening, you know, gets reduced. It, it seems to me that at Hamrickburg, you guys do a lot of uh, training and you do a deep dive and you really get to know folks before you do anything. Absolutely. And that to me seems so important because you've got to, as the advisor, it seems to me that you have to know, okay, well, here's how this client is going to think about this when we bring this up. Here's how this client's going to view volatility. Here's how the client, this client is going to view the political you know, climate and what's going on now. And I think that that's really, really helps you uh, be in a position to really help the client. 
Well, and, and it is. Because a lot of times they don't know what they need, right? When they come to you. Absolutely. And and you hear all the time, well, my buddy's getting 20% from his advisor. My portfolio should be doing this. I should have this. You know, all of these things that we get these messages all the time. And it's like, wait, let's just focus on where you are, what you have, what you want, what's going to make you feel safe and secure and moving on your path to financial security. And let's not take any more risk in the market than we need to take in order to help you achieve the things you want to achieve. Uh, and be realistic. You know, I've had people say, well, I, you know, I want to get 20% on my money. Well, you're going to well, have- Nobody else wants that. <laughs> But you take a risk tolerance that says that you can't stand to lose 10%. Well, if you want high reward, you have to take high risk. Yeah. And I'm not saying we need to take high risk or we want to take high risk, but we've got to match up. What are you willing to lose on the downside in order in, you know, in pursuit of the upside? So we've got to marry that emotional risk tolerance with what does the math say you need to be saving and you need to be earning on your portfolio to help you get your, to your goals. And it's trying to bring those things together in a, in a rational conversation so that you understand if you're not willing to take high risk and the math says you don't have to take high risk, then the return is going to be a little lower. We're going to be very diversified. Uh, you know, we're going to kind of be slow and steady to win the race instead of trying to bolt out of the of the gate and get these, you know, big returns. Uh, people that call and say, hey, you know, what kind of return can you get me if I let you invest a million dollars? I'm like, none, because I'm not built to do that. I, I'm not built to probably not to the be, right client for you anyway. No, it's that's not the right client. I I work well with people who want to develop a plan, who want to create a strategy from getting from here to there, and want to be prudent about the way that we do that. And you know, every action is based on aligning with what you're trying to achieve. And things change absolutely, 100%. What you wanted last year or five years ago is different than what you want this year, which will be different in five years. I think that's the other value of having an advisor that you work closely with is that I love when my clients pick up the phone and say, hey, what do you think about X? And we can talk about it and I can ask some questions. Where's this coming from? Uh, you know, what's changed from last time we talked, what's going on. And we can process through these things. And if it's like, yeah, you know, you're ready to start a business. Awesome. Let's get things aligned to support you in that dream. If that's the new direction we're going, then let's get those the ducks lined up to move in that direction. And I love that. I mean, it happens all the time. People's plans change. Opportunities present themselves. Uh, And that's the other value is, if I don't know the answer, I have 20 plus other partners who have yeah. decades of experience working with various kinds of situations. Well, the right client isn't going to care that you don't know all the answers. They're going to want you to find it. And then you just say, like what the rest of us do, hey, I, I, I think I have a, a firm handle on the idea. I want to clarify a couple things and I'll get back to you by this time Yep, and and, and advise and get clear on that. So- you know, from knowing you, uh, there's a high energy, there's uh you clearly love what you do. You've clearly got a lot of success behind you. How, 
How important are relationships to you? Um, you know, relationships are the most critical thing in the world. Um, you know, relationships, personal relationships, um, with family, um, but the relationships with the people at the firm are especially important. I mean, that's part of why we merged is we felt like Everyone we met was like-minded. They were high energy. They were enthusiastic and passionate about what they were doing. And we can build off that energy together. We can solve problems together. Um, they're, they're rational um, people that want to get better every single day. And so having that support, having those people in my world um, is critical. And I know that any single person at that firm, if I called and said, hey, I'm in a bind, I have a problem, I need some help, everyone would drop everything to, you know, to try to fix it, to try to jump in, to try to help, whatever that was. And I, I think that's that that's important. unique. It's it's a great thing to have. It's a great thing to have. We have a really great team. And again, that's part of that cultural fit that we just felt that from the get-go. And every step of the way when we were going through the merger, it was like, oh, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this. People were just responsive. They're so excited to help and to make things easier and make things better. Um, that it, it's, it's really a great environment. It's, it's fun to be around. Um, and I, I would be lost without having the relationships I have with, you know, with the other people in the firm. So are you out, uh, what sorts of clients are ideal clients for you? Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of single women, either, um, widowed or divorced. Um, and so that's a, a great fit because <clears throat> I understand. Why, why do you think, why do you think that? Um, I think because I, you know, when I was single, I was lived on my own for about four years before I met my husband, and I never thought I would get married. I just envisioned myself being single. My mom had instilled in me, you know, you need to be able to take care of yourself. You need to have your own career. You need to do, sure. you know, things for yourself. Um, and so I just sort of pictured that. And so I, had this mental vision of myself on that path. So I think it's easy for me to relate to somebody who is. Um, the other thing is my dad was killed in an accident right before I turned 13. Oh, I'm and sorry so, to hear that. Thank you. Um, and so I saw my mom be a single parent for about seven years before she married my stepdad. And so, you know, being in that environment where she was very adamant, you know, about us being able to stand on our own two feet. And, you know, we, it was myself and my two younger sisters and my mom for a very long time. And so I think I just relate to that picture sure. of, of what that's like for, uh, for somebody. What is, what is the ideal client for you? Um, you know, I work with now a lot of small business owners and having been part of a small business. I understand the challenges of that. I understand how we've got to get the taxes right. We got to get the retirement plans right. We got to, you know, serve the employees. And so I love working uh, with folks who have small businesses because um, I think I can take a lot of the weight of the personal financial side off and free up 
uh, the business owner to focus on, you know, some of the business things, <coughs> as well as provide some resources on, on, you know, running the business as well. Um, so that's a good fit. I'm now working with several doctors. Mm. So I understand, you know, a little bit about the, uh, in that environment and the benefits that get offered at that level, the student loan debt that a lot of those folks are carrying as they're mm. starting their practices, uh, that kind of thing. So those are, those are great people for me. What do you think when I think about your company, Hamrick Berg, and I think about you knowing you, it seems that, you know, there's a high energy, there's culture, uh, but another, uh, it seems to me that you're very effective at creating a, what we refer to in our company as an air of consultative engagement, where you make, you have to make people comfortable so they'll talk to you. Right. And it seems like you're very effective at doing that. And well, that would be you. very advantageous in your business to get to know about, you know, people's experiences with money and why they feel one way or the other. And there really is a lot of psychology about this, isn't there? Well, there, there is, and I think some of it is because I didn't start out as a financial planner and I did make a lot of mistakes with my own money. Yeah. No um, one else has done that. <laughs> um, there's hopefully I convey this, um, sense that there's no judgment. I've overspent. I've carried a big credit card. I've had too much debt. I've had too little savings. Um, so I get it. I get how things happen and I'm not, I never want to convey that there's some sort of judgment <clears throat> or somebody's looking down their nose at somebody. Oh, that's the worst thing. I, I concur a hundred percent. I mean, you are where you are. Yeah. And it's just, you know, circumstances bring you here. There's been a lot of things that I planned for certain things to happen and they didn't happen. And it's like, oh, crud. Now, now look at the mess I'm in. Um, and so it is very much about let's just meet wherever you are. Let's look at the positive things we got going on. Let's try to reduce some of the negative things and let's just take some baby steps to move forward wherever you're at um, and, and get out of this. Um, and so I've had, you know, clients that came, had a young client, you know, daughter of a client who's now kind of become a, a client of her own. And she sends me this email, like, I'm so embarrassed and my credit card debt. And I called her and I'm like, you never have to be worried about confessing something to me. I understand. Like, let's just, hey, this is where we are. Let's take some steps to fix it and, you know, move on with our day, learn some lessons from it. Um, and one of the things I've been reading, and it seems to be this theme on a lot of things. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of different books. Um, is this idea of turning things from shame into curiosity. Let's get curious. Why did that happen? What was going on when, you know, when this occurred? And let's just be curious about it instead of being judgmental. Like there's no sense beating yourself over the head about it. Let's just get curious about what happened so that we can take steps to not have that happen in the future. Um, and so I try to bring that to conversations you know, and let people know openly, I'm, 
I make mistakes all the time. I mean, I, I'm a very emotional spender. Uh, dropping kids off at college, man, I went in that college bookstore and out I come with a couple hundred bucks worth of t-shirts and mugs and pencils and, you know, and it's, that's an emotional response. I'm leaving you my kid. I got to take something back home. Interesting. It's not a rational one, but I am emotional around mm-hmm. money and there's a, I could go on and on about my own money story. I've done extensive personal work around my own money um, story and history and why I'm emotional with money. Um, but I do tend to get caught up in the moment. And Does that I, give you greater credibility with your clients, you think, to be able to speak so openly about you know things that maybe you could have done differently? Um, I hope so. I mean, I'm just who I am and I'm, I'm overcoming being ashamed of mistakes that I've made in the past and just like, Hey, this is what happened. That was who I was at that time. I'm just trying to be better every day um, and help other people learn from that. I mean, that would be the greatest benefit to me personally. If I can share one mistake I made with somebody and save them, then it would all have been worth it. Yeah, it's, I think it's very, uh, useful to be able to take, uh, anyone's history and be able to say, Hey, here's what I did. Here's what maybe I could, I could have done differently in hindsight. And I think that that's very, seems like that would be very useful for clients of yours for them to hear, uh, about your experience and for you to say, Hey, I, here, here's some adjustments I could have made. Here are some things that I could do differently. Here are some things I struggle with now. I, to, that to me sounds real. Well, I'm I'm just a real person that makes mistakes and tries to get better and not do it again in the future. So you have a husband and four kids. Yes. How old are your kids? Um, my daughter is 26, and then I have sons who are 24, 22, and 21. Older? Yes. So what do they do? Uh, my daughter is a paralegal for a law firm in New York City. She lives in Brooklyn. Um, my oldest son graduated from the Art Institute. He is a sound engineer, and he's currently trying to launch his career uh, with recording studios. So he works for um, three different recording studios here in Atlanta, um, working with artists to make music and he writes his own music and, and does all of that. So that's a very interesting path. Um, that's not in my wheelhouse mm. in terms of advising. Um, the middle son actually just graduated from UGA and he works for Hamrick Berg. He is, oh, cool. um, he came in as an intern <clears throat> right as we were merging. They met him at a job fair and he liked them. And so he works in our main Buckhead office. I'm uh, primarily out at our Cobb office. So um, I didn't have anything to do with him getting hired what does he, there. What does he do? He's um, in a, he's in our financial planning group. So he's an associate and it came in and he's working on his CFP, doing this, the coursework and looking to take that exam uh, pretty soon. So he is um, on his path. And then the youngest son is in Statesboro at Georgia Southern. He is an electrical engineer. He's a junior. So very, very different kids. As soon as I figured out what worked with one of them, I could scratch it off the list because I wasn't going to work with any of the other three. <laughs> well, how did, how did you do have all the success that you had professionally and yet, uh, have any kind of balance? Cause it, 
it seems like you had more than a few things going on at home with four kids. Um, well, I have a fantastic husband. And what does he do? Um, he is a fundraiser. He works with our fund, and they do um, email fundraising for sports teams. Hmm. Because if you don't know this, um, the high schools give you a field and a coach, and the booster club pays for everything else. Yeah. Um, for their sports team. So the money has to come from somewhere. And so this is one um, option for fundraising. He was a president of the Lassiter Touchdown Club and um, got very involved with the guy that was running uh, the R Fund fundraisers and started doing beta testing for him and being a reference and yada, yada, yada. And pretty soon he's a rep. So, so he's 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 a resource to help athletic teams get money for their program. Yep. Yep. Instead of selling cookie dough or wrapping paper, you just email grandma and say, we're trying to raise money for our football team. And grandma's pretty much going to write a check if she can. <laughs> so do they do other fundraising efforts for things other than uh, athletic teams? Um, he's mostly athletic teams. Um, every once in a while, you'll get some charity-based um, teams, but for the most part, it's like marching bands and sports teams, cheerleading, that kind of thing. Yeah. How long so. has he been at that? Um, gosh, he he was a consultant uh, with his own company for a number of years, and he kind of crossed over, I would say, six or seven years ago to where he was doing our fund full-time. So he, um, we recently moved and we've got this little, uh, was a little shed in our backyard that we converted into his office. So he can, oh, it's not a she shed. <laughs> it's not a she shed. It is, uh, it is our fund world headquarters. Uh, so he, he gets to walk out the back door and, um, and work from the, the shed where he looks out and sees the family of deer that live behind her house and all that kind of stuff. But he is, um, was a great, great husband, uh, still is a great husband, uh, and a great father. Thank you for clarifying that <laughs> for all, for all of us husbands yes, out there. You yes, know, it's, uh, still is. you, you got to throw that, that current status, uh, moniker in there. Um, but he was an all in dad. I mean, it was never like he wasn't equally helping with the kids and with whatever needed to be done and That's good. cooking dinner and cleaning up and throwing in laundry. And, um, you know, we, we kind of attacked it, uh, from, from both sides. You had to sort of corral the kids. Um, but I pretty much had a saying when the kids were little and that was get up, start moving. Cause you just had to, just had to go, you know, you just got to go do stuff. Um, yeah, no other mom says that. I don't think. <laughs> so I just, I've always had a lot of energy. I always have a lot of things that I want to get done and to do, and I'm pretty organized. And so I, I just jump in. Well, I think if you have <clears throat> the experience as a CPA, the experience as uh, in operations, uh, it lends itself to being deliberate and systematic and methodical, and it lends itself to organization, which in your line, our line of business is really, really helpful. Oh, absolutely. I had checklists. I had the homework supply closet at the house. I had my laundry system. I had bins in the car so that if we were eating on the run, we had... What's in the bins? Well, you had your homework bin, so you had. No, I mean I don't care about that. I care about what's in the what's in the eating bin. <laughs> the eating bin. The food bin. The food bin. Well, you had to have granola bars and napkins and wipes, salt and pepper, 
This is in your plates. car. It was when the kids were young. Oh, okay. And you don't have like, anything for you in there now? No, you know, it's a long drive back to Cobb no, County. No, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good. I can make it all the way without needing a snack. But the kids, my kids played football, baseball, basketball. My daughter was a competitive cheerleader. Okay. So my youngest son never took a nap in a crib. He was always in a car seat, <laughs> a playpen. Um, we were always at a ball field somewhere. We had change of clothes and coats and blankets. Blankets and you know, my car was like the rolling house when the kids were little. <laughs> and my husband would be like, Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff in here. And I'm like, Listen, I need every single one of these things because you know, I get home for like 15 minutes in the afternoons, you know, once the kids are, are go. Um, and it was fun and it was interesting and it was exhausting. And uh, we just, we just kind of made it happen. Yeah, it sounds like that. Uh, it sounds like you have a great relationship uh, at home, and uh, I'll bet that makes you even more effective out there, you know, doing what you do. On oh, a yeah. Basis. Um, yeah. If, if my husband was not the the bedrock um, of the family, you know, just so dependable, so um, able to count on him and just always willing to support <clears throat> me in whatever crazy idea I have, he's... Uh, had to construct homecoming floats. He's had to <laughs> run fall festivals. Uh, he just never knew what request was coming down the pike, and he just always uh, put a smile on his face and jumped in. Well, that's great. Do the two of you have uh, – it sounds like your kids were athletes. Do the two of you have an athletic background, you and um, your husband? I really didn't growing up. We were more um, winter sports. We have a cabin in Montana, and so we snowmobiled and cross-country skied and downhill skied, and I did those kind of things. What a great place things. for that. Yeah, yeah. So that was very much what you would expect kind of in the Montana um, scenario. My husband uh, played baseball and basketball. He actually played um, basketball at a small college. He went to Bentley College in Boston. So he played, you know, during college. He's very tall, very athletic guy. Um, so we... So what he's you know, doing so, now is sort of comes naturally yeah. um, because of his experience, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and his time in the... Um, with the touchdown club, you know, running that organization, he was the president for a number of years. Um, so he gets it, you know, he gets that those teams, there's a lot of pressure to, to come up with some funds. And so, uh, it, it works naturally for him to help out with that. Well, it's very expensive to play sports now. I, I know I realize, you know, that, you know, I graduated from high school, um, dating myself here still <laughs> in 1983. And I can remember, you know, parents being mad that they, uh, you know, that, that, you know, we needed to each, you know, write a check for 75 or a hundred dollars to play and yeah. just for equipment. And I didn't think much of it because I just figured, oh, okay, well that is going to pay for the uniforms to be washed and so on and the wear and tear. But I, I know that the numbers must be much larger now. Than, yes. Than that. Huge, really huge. So I'm a cheer mom as well. I guarantee you that number is higher. That one I know. Oh yeah. That <laughs> is a real high number, real high number. Well, what, uh, what gives you the greatest satisfaction in what you do? Um, I had a client the other day who said the best call I ever made was the day I called you. And what a compliment it is. It was a huge compliment. Um, she was going through a lot of things. Um, and we had a, n a number of calls, you know, where she was worried or concerned. And we just, you know, I was able to kind of say, Hey, let's just take a breath, 
see what we got, see where we are, see what we need to do, put a plan in place. I'm all about you can get out of anything if you just kind of put a methodical plan in place and start taking some steps in the right direction. Um, and so the fact, the trust that she has in me and that all my clients have in me, um, and when I can deliver and ease that fear and eliminate the worry, that is that's what gives me the greatest satisfaction. It's not delivering, you know, <clears throat> showing some investment report with some return number on it. That's one small piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's helping them get over that fear. It seems to me that uh, your perspective, your history with uh, the details, the back office compliance uh, your history as a CPA, your experience as a CFP, and, and knowing sort of the operational things, uh, that's a component of why you're so successful. But obviously, you you make people comfortable. And um, I, I remember the first time I met you, I felt immediately comfortable. And that's a gift. And I think if you're going to get people talk to talk about something that gives a lot of us fear, you have to have that... Uh, that ability to make people feel comfortable so they'll talk to you. And, you know, we call it at our company creating an air of consultative engagement. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's just, I'm a really <clears throat> curious person. I'm curious about what you're worried about. Why are you worried about that? How did that come to be? What's the backstory of that? Maybe I'm just nosy. I wouldn't say that. I, I think I think you have to ask a lot of questions. Uh, it's kind of yeah. like in, in our business, everybody thinks they're healthy. And then you start asking questions. And, well, you know, I had a stroke a year ago. Is that a big deal? Or, you know, I've had a heart attack last week. <laughs> That's not a big deal, is it? <clears throat> I mean, you got to trust but verify, yeah. uh, especially yeah. in our businesses, so you can get in the best position to help people. Yeah. But I think when, <clears throat> you know, I I rarely have ever met somebody that I didn't like. You know, there's the occasional person that you just don't click with, but there's always some way to connect with people. There's some element of commonality and a background and yeah. a sports team in a, in a something. And I think my dad was extraordinary at, um, connecting with a wide variety of people. My mom used to call him a chameleon. Um, he was an architect and she said he could go talk to a board of directors and fit right in and you would never know that he wasn't at that level. That's a gift too. And he could walk out to the job site and fit in with the guy that was digging the ditch and you would never know that he wasn't at his level. Yeah. And so I think I watched my dad, even though I, I didn't have him for a long period of time, he was a really involved dad. And we spent a lot of time as a family and we spent a lot of time with a lot of other people. And I got to see him interact and the way he could relate to you. Again, whether you're the chairman of the board or the guy digging the ditch, he found a way to relate to where you were. And I, I think I got that from him. Yeah, that's great stuff. How has the financial planning business evolved in, in the, in the time that you've been involved in it? Um, well, it's, it's seen so many changes. Um, you know, when I got involved again, that first phone call, I didn't even know what a financial planning firm was. It's like, oh, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like something we ought to, you know, have around. Um, but 
nobody except the ultra wealthy really had those kind of advisors um, helping them do the right things. You either just stumbled into it, got lucky, knew somebody, knew somebody who knew something. Um, and so that shift to this is a commonplace thing and most people need to have these types of advisors, you know, that can look holistically at what you've got going on and give you some objective advice about a direction that you should go that's that's going to work for your situation. Yeah, game plan. Yeah, you got to have a game plan. Uh, and it's just our lives have gotten so <clears throat> much more complex. I mean, you look at just the employee benefit arena. Yeah. Uh, you look at, again, we talked about this earlier, long-term care. You can't be an agent who does 20 kinds of insurance. It's just too complex. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. So, yeah. I, you know, it doesn't make me right and the next person not right. It just means that uh, I have an area of focus that I'm comfortable in and as you do. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just think that that's a, having sharpshooters and having SMEs, uh, which is an acronym for subject matter experts is really useful. Yeah. It is. And it knowing is. and trusting them and, you know, the right. whole like, no trust thing. Right. So you wrote a book. I want to talk about that. What the graduate's guide to money. Who did you write that for? And what was the reason you wrote the book? And tell us about that. Um, yeah, I published that in, uh, in August of 2014. Um, I have all- That could have been useful in 1983 <laughs> yes. for me. Thank you. Well, again, I wish I'd had it in <clears throat> 1986 when I graduated from college. Um, but I realized in seeing my kids getting into that teenage, going off to college years that, um, they get zero financial literacy in school. Why zero. is that? I don't know. We need to lobby somebody somewhere to say that this has got to be a curriculum. I heard a uh, a vote to drop geometry and pick up. It's got my vote. <laughs> so I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Don't, people who love geometry don't write to me. That was a joke. Um, but we do need to get some financial literacy. And the issue is if you Google. Google budgeting or investing, you will get 10 million hits. And that is not helpful. Because where do you start? How do you know who to trust? We all know now the internet is a great thing, but it's full of a lot of garbage as well. So um, I've always liked writing. I at one point wanted to be a writer and I sat down with a pen and a paper and well, I really, you are. Now well, you are. I didn't have anything to say when I was 22. There were there were no none words. Of us, none of us did. <laughs> so um, I finally was like, you know what? This is in my head. It's something I'm passionate about. I really want to write a book for somebody who doesn't know anything. Um, and so it was geared for those people, you know, kind of kids coming out of college that are just getting started. What are these tax things that are being taken out of my paycheck? And what about insurance? And what's deductibles? And who needs a will? And all those kind of things. And then the big thing is, um, I, I will throw myself under the bus as a naive 20 something year old that invested my 401k in guaranteed interest in 1987. At least you were doing it. So yes, I put some money in there, but I did not invest it because I was afraid and I didn't know anything about investing. Yeah. And so I wanted to give people the investing chapter was the hardest one for me to mm -hmm. write because I wanted to make it 
accessible enough for people that you can get started. You don't have to know everything to get started investing. And of course, it is a very different investment world today than it was in 1986 or seven or eight um, when we didn't really have access to all that information. But now we have this overload of information. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to kind of whittle it down to say, how do you think about investing, um, you know, how do you get started? You know, what are some things that you can do to make sure that you you invest? Because the reality is we have to invest to stay ahead of inflation. That's just the reality of the world. You don't need 20% a year, but you got to stay in, in front of inflation or you're just losing purchasing power. Um, and so I wanted to try to explain that. I wanted something that I could hand to my kids and say, I can't pour what I know or what I've experienced into your head, but I can write it on this piece of paper. And if you choose not to read it, then that's on you. <laughs> I've tried. Um, and my son, who is now at Hamburgberg, did confess to me the other day that um, he said, Mom, I hadn't read the book until recently, but I started thumbing through it and it's really not that bad. That is high praise from your kid. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I having been there myself. I it's it's funny how much smarter your parents get as you get older. Yes, yes. But this <clears throat> book also, I I run across a lot of women, and it's not necessarily always women, but women who have delegated the money stuff to a spouse. Sure. And now all of a sudden it's in your lap for whatever reason. And it's hard to get started learning something. So maybe you're not graduating from college. Maybe you're graduating from dependence to independence, from not knowing to knowing. And this book might work for you if you're in that spot and you just want to secretly like get a little more knowledge. And what's the name of the book again? The Graduate's Guide to Money. And you won some awards on that, haven't you? I did. I actually won quite a few awards. So somebody besides my mother liked the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, a, a few more people than your mom liked the book. But tell us about some of the awards you won. Um, well, I was a um, USA Best Book finalist. And oh, I was cool. a 2014 Shelf Unbound Notable Indie Award winner. And the rest of them are on my website. So you can get a sneak peek if you go to graduatesguidetomoney.com. Well, Tana, you've been invited on the Tuesdays with Corey show because you've been uh, asked by another guest to attend by somebody that's, you know, uh, been on the show. You've had great success. And of all the things that differentiate you, what do you think is the top one? Um... I think for me, it is, it's just all about the client and what can I do to make things easier? I have gifts that I'm trying to bring to the world. My clients have gifts that they're trying to bring to the world. And if I can lift some burdens off them to make their financial lives easier, then they can go be better at what they're supposed to be doing. And uh, I think because I'm so passionate about doing that and helping clients for the long haul, really understanding them, helping to ease those worries, ease the the burden of, you know, managing, growing and protecting their wealth um, to free them to go be spectacular. 
It seems to me that you have a lot of great traits. Uh, you're caring, you have high energy, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you have great experience, great expertise. Uh, but it also seems like you have a very much a servant's mentality toward the relationships that you have. Like you're interested to know how you can help them. That's kind of what you've given off to me in the time that I've known you. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, I think that we're all here to do the best we can and help one another. And I've gotten a lot of help and support in my life from yeah. a lot of different directions. And it does make me feel very good and useful and purposeful if I can provide that help and support to some somebody else. Yeah, you've had tremendous experience. Do you still get back to Montana to ski and snowmobile and... Um, I don't go back there a lot in the winter anymore. What, wonder why that is. <laughs> it's really cold there. Probably for the same reason I don't go back to Minneapolis where I grew up. Uh, but we do try to get back. Um, usually once a summer, uh, we get back and, um, my mom went through cancer a few years ago. I was able to go and work from Montana for, uh, mm. three or four weeks. I'll bet she really her. appreciated that. Um, appreciate and um hey you're a pest you're making me do all these things i don't want to do <laughs> no but we had a really uh it was a great it was a great time i'm very fortunate that my uh firm was really supportive of that and the technology obviously supports you know kind of being able to work anywhere um so some things like that um i've had the opportunity to do and i love being i love being back in montana i love being at, up at our cabin it's just it's a beautiful place well, Tana, you've had a wealth of success and experience. And um, uh, what advice would you give your younger self if you be, could do it? Be bold. Be bold. Don't hold back. Uh, and for heaven's sakes, quit worrying about what other people think. And I would write those on a poster for the Tana of tomorrow and next week and next month. Um, mm. Because we all need to own who we are. Yeah. And embrace that, be the best you that you can be and go out and, and do what you're meant to do. And we cannot do that if we're worried about the critics. Um, and I just have been reading, um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And one of the quotes that she starts the book with is the Teddy Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena. And the credit goes to the man in the arena who's sweaty and, you know, blood on his face and all of those things. Uh, that if you fail, at least you dared greatly. And that's what we got to do. So your place will never be with those timid, timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat. Actually, that's my favorite quote. That is a great line out of that. And I should have that whole quote memorized because it's so powerful. It's so amazing. Um, and getting good quality feedback is important. And if you're a person that gives someone else that good feedback, that's awesome. That's different from sitting above and ridiculing yep. what the person in the ring is doing. There's no room for that. There's no room for that. And um, if you could do it better, you should be in the ring doing it. Exactly. Exactly. But we all got to go out there and dare greatly and not worry about getting bruised up. Um, and the other thing I would tell my younger self is to fail more. You know, if we can change how we view failure from this, and again, this is borrowing from Brene Brown, this shame-filled event that we're not good enough and get curious about it that says, hey, 
let me break that apart and see what happened and see where, what went wrong and what could I have done different? And let me learn something about this. Um, but, you know, encouraging failure, almost rewarding because that means you're trying. Yeah. I mean, people that ski say, if you don't fall, if you didn't fall today, you weren't pushing yourself. Yeah. And that's how we need to view more of, um, you know, failures in business or school or going down the wrong path or whatever. It's just part of learning. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow in your footsteps, what would you tell her? Go for it. We need you. We need you badly. Young men too. Um, the financial planning profession started in the mid seventies and the people that started that are getting older and there are not going. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I'm I right think. there too. I'm right there too. I'm, I'm mid fifties. I'm not going to be here forever. Um, I am good. Excellent. Keep on going. Um, but the profession needs you. Then, you know, the world is recognizing that this is important stuff. And yeah. if you have a passion for helping others and a gift for, you know, the numbers and hey, this stuff really makes sense for me. It's not hard for me. I get it. Um, then, then jump in. You know, there's, uh, a lot of online schools. There's in-person schools. I actually teach at, um, Kennesaw State has a CFP program. I'm one of the instructors there, uh, for a couple of their classes. Uh, so go get the education, try it out, take the CFP. Um, you know, jump in. We need you. Well, Tana, you've had a lot of great business experience and success and, uh, if the listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, well, you can find me on the Homrickberg website, uh, which is Um My email is gilday, G-I-L-D-E-A, at homrickberg.com. Or you can reach me through my website, graduatesguidetomoney.com. Well, Tana, you've been a great guest. Uh, thank you for being such a great guest and, and continued success. Thank you for being on Tuesdays with Corey. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.